Hello, and welcome to the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner and Donna McLaughlin. We believe that everyone deserves access to opportunities for leadership development and personal growth. That is why we are on a mission to destigmatize difference, identify challenges, improve outcomes, and empower neurodivergent talent with the tools to become the authentic leaders they were meant to be. We want to provide a safe space for the open-minded exploration and celebration of neurodiverse minds. We will spotlight the narratives of neurodivergent leaders, advocates, and experts, and share our own stories about educating, raising, and loving neurodivergent children. We will dive deep to reveal the challenges of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world and discover the power of shifting from a negative viewpoint that focuses on deficits and brokenness to a more compassionate paradigm that promotes strength, acceptance, and access. We will challenge your concepts about leadership and who or what makes a great leader. We will lean into the discovery of who we are and who we aren't so that we can commit to our truth and become the best version of ourselves we can be. By the end of this venture, you will have the tools and actionable steps to activate your own exciting and individualized leadership plan. Whether you're an aspiring leader, entrepreneur, professional, or parent raising future leaders, we will have something for everyone. Thank you for joining us. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the next episode of Neurodivergent Leader. Today, our guest is Jess Corinne, and I'm going to let her open by telling us a little bit about, you can do like your formal bio and then tell us a little bit about how you got into what you do. So let's dive right in. Let's do it. I think those two aspects are clearly intertwined, right? So um, my background is I started as a classroom teacher. I was a K-1 classroom teacher. So my very first year into education, I was thrown into a K-1 split in a public school. And I am a believer of public education, but it was really difficult as one who is eager, enthusiastic, really jive to dive into the classroom to service each and every one of the learners within that breadth, right? And so it was really tricky for me. And I quickly realized that I was doing a disservice by not feeling equipped in multisensory evidence-based instruction, many of the learners within my, my cohort um, needed that service and I wasn't able to provide it. So within a couple of years of being in the classroom, I went back to the Bay Area where I was born and raised and I started working as a clinician and consultant for Linda Mood Bell Learning Processes. And Linda Mood Bell, if you're un, unfamiliar with Linda Mood Bell, they're an international organization that has really refined the ability to develop those underlying sensory cognitive skills in reading, comprehension, and math. And it was magical for me to see that immediate reinforcement, the immediate gratification that comes from a learner realizing their potential and then leaning in to the struggle to adversity and rising above it was huge for me. Um, we provided in intensive instruction. So we would see learners for multiple hours a day, multiple days per week. Um, and so you can imagine, right, the progress was expedited because of that. And so I fell in love with teaching multisensory evidence-based structured literacy. I, I then transferred to a school services division where I worked in a public school in Redwood City, California, where I was born and raised. That was really great for me. But then I also moved into an, an school services division across the country. And so I started working down in Gallup, New Mexico. 
I served on the Navajo reservation. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I felt like I was not only teaching learners how to read, but their parents and also being able to have more of a global impact by teaching teachers the programming. So that was kind of, I always say that's that aha moment for me. That was, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be an educator. I studied psychology for a long time. And so it was like the perfect marriage of those two components. And so I, we actually lost funding, unfortunately, and I had to move back into the center division, which was just fine because I had the opportunity to continue to refine my skills of implementation. I became an executive director, a regional manager, oversaw the West Coast as a whole. And then I got to a point where I was on my third child. I now have four and I felt a little bit pigeonholed. I felt like I couldn't truly recommend the holistic instructional recommendations that I truly felt and believed the child needed. And so I went out on my own and started my own private practice. I was in private practice after serving with Linda Mood Bell for 10 years. I was also in my private practice for 10 years. And that was my opportunity to really learn more program focus points, be able to learn areas such as Orton-Gillingham, Wilson reading system, step up to writing, social thinking. I mean, all of it is just phenomenal. And to be able to see a learner for who they are and what they need and recommend pinpointedly exactly what can fill their needs and help them reach their full potential was just absolutely fantastic for me. So I was in prior practice. I was consulting with local schools, a pediatrician's practice. And then I was on maternity leave with my fourth child and learnfully approached me to become the head of educational services. And I just felt like it was such a privilege and honor to be part of this mission that we're on to empower neurodiversity as three moms of neurodivergent learners ourselves. It just felt like exactly where I needed to be at that moment. So what does neurodiversity mean to you and how has it impacted your life? It was extremely eye-opening when I started working with Linda Mood Bell and really started digging deeper into their comprehension programming, their conceptual understanding, and all of the branches that fall to within that tree, right? So there's conceptual imagery and understanding, and then being able to connect critical thinking and executive functioning skills to that core of how you process information was extremely eye-opening for me because I realized at that point in time, I think I was 25, I was super young, but I still... It was a moment where I realized I was struggling with that my entire academic trajectory. And I was, you know, straight A student, but I was cramming and memorizing and getting up at 4 a.m. every morning to study so that I could ace the test. And it was really, I wasn't fully digesting that information. So for me personally, I realized that I struggled with that underlying ability to conceptualize language on the deeper level, on the surface, sure, but I wasn't able to fully make connections, draw conclusions, predictions, and organize my thought process. And so that was that was a moment, right? Then the next moment was when my, ch- my children started aging. And they started facing the academic struggles that I also experienced. It was another kind of glue that held this this theory of mine together that I was struggling with executive functioning myself and and comprehension overall. Um, And so my, my daughter struggles a little bit with math and writing conceptually, primarily. She was an early reader. And both my daughter and my second child, my first son, struggle with attention. And that's one of the executive functioning components of skills, right? So it's like kind of 
filling in all these gaps for me and why I was struggling or why I was feeling the way I was feeling as a child. And so I feel like I'm meant to be in this role. I'm meant to be on this path myself because I have personal experience, but now I have that amazing training under my belt so I can serve my own children and hopefully kind of pass it forward so they don't have to experience the struggles that I experienced early on. Oh, I love that. And similarly, like I had a formal diagnosis of attention deficit disorder when I was young, but you know, that was like 30 ish years ago and no one even really understood what that meant. And it was just like, you know, give her some riddle and have a nice day. I Struggled. And it wasn't until I started to see my son's struggles and we started to do some psychodynamic testing. And I was like, Oh, well, that's how I process. And Oh, that's how I do that. That I started to like, Mm-hmm. become more aware and enlightened. And so, you know, I think there's neurodivergence in general is just mm-hmm. a different way of processing and understanding the world and language and concepts. And you, you brought up math and different things. So whether it's a formal label like ADHD or autism, or whether it's just a divergence in learning styles, I yeah. think we as parents don't fully understand all of these different pieces of how learning happens. We just think you go to school, you sit, you learn. Yeah. And and that's just how it goes. Like, no. So I hear you saying that even as a trained teacher, it took you going into these other types of programs where they started to dissect how we integrate information that you really started to understand the difference. Wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I was trained in education. I was trained in psychology. You know, I was top honors and it wasn't until I fully had the experience hands-on in the classroom environment, and then took a step back to learn some structured literacy approaches that I made those connections personally, and then was like on a strong mission, you know, pounding the pavement to spread the word that there are these underlying skills that we can strengthen, develop, refine, apply, so that learners can have that, that also that aha magical moment that I experienced as an adult. So I fully agree. It's unfortunate that teachers, you know, they're on the right path. They have their, their heart is in the game, but they're not always given those tips, tricks, and strategies, and really the overarching understanding of how the brain works and the, the underlying skills work together to lead towards success. So I fully agree. Yeah, that was what I was going to talk to you about a little bit. And what intrigued me when I was looking up your information is because as a fellow educator for the last 22 years, I myself have been in the classroom and faced with this, you know, varied um, level of, of cognitive challenge within mm-hmm. the students that are assigned to me. And all of a sudden, your college education is no longer what you're able to access. And you're really going from intuition and your gut about how do I really reach these students. And it's sad because there's not a lot of information out there for teachers. I mean, you really have to be a detective to try to figure out, you know, how do I teach them the reading skills? How do I fill in for yeah. the, the conceptual issues? How do I do a multi-sensory approach when I have 30 kids in 42 minutes. You know what I mean? Because I was a high school teacher. So that makes it a lot different than at the elementary level. Mm -hmm. And so that metacognitive piece is what's fascinating to me about 
really kind of spreading the word out there so that college programs are incorporating and being required to give that information and training to teachers that are coming up in the system so that they don't get out there in the field and have such a difficult time not really knowing how to approach. Even if they made it a requirement to have reading specialization for every teacher that's going to go in the classroom, no matter the content area, because reading is a part of every content area. So it's interesting to me that we are 30 years, 30 plus years, you know, after I've been educated, right? And we're still in a deficit situation with college programs where teachers are improperly prepared. So it's not a wonder to me that kids are still struggling in schools and that teachers are really feeling very defeated because they've gone and done everything that they could to do the best job that they know how, and they just Mm -hmm. need that extra support. So what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about was that, you know, there's three areas of executive functioning that are important, right? The working memory, the cognitive flexibility, and the Mm self-regulation. So talk a little bit about AF skills and why they're important and what are some of the signs of trouble that parents could be looking for to say, hey, this is an issue that my kid is having and maybe I need to reach out and get some extra support. Most certainly. So as you said, there are three overarching themes within executive functioning, right? The working memory, the self-control and the flexibility. But underneath that, there are eight component sub-skills. And this is why there's, of course, we need to educate the world around this, but it's so complex. Executive functioning is such a broad stroke word for all these interlinked skills. And so I will go into detail about that, but executive functioning as a whole, you can, you can envision it as like the CEO, or I also like to say the conductor of the brain, because you can imagine one managing the operations of daily happenings, but also being able to keep up with everything that's, that's coming at them. And so I like to look at it in, in, in three different ways, as you said, really, when you're looking at executive functioning, we're looking at the ability to sustain attention, to manage one's time, to keep organized, to be able to plan and prioritize And then as well as to really remain flexible and be able to self-regulate. And all of those skills are a really big ask, especially when they haven't been explicitly developed. Even if you're not one that struggles in other aspects of learning, this is the basis for how to access your own potential. The executive functioning component skills start and they're housed in the prefrontal cortex of your brain. They are also one of the areas in the brain that take the longest to develop to strengthen. So you have all these inner workings of skills that really are required for one to function throughout the day, not just academically, not in terms of accessing content, but just in general, to be able to fully function, you have to have these skills in place based on your age and your grade, whatever is appropriate for that. But it also takes until one's about 23 or 25 years of age for them to be fully developed. So we ask a lot of our learners without explicitly developing these underlying skills that impact every aspect of everything they do. And I think it is something that we're all about the same generation, right? It's something that we were not taught how to do. We were just assumed to be able to do it. And I'm surprised that you even got a diagnosis, to be frank, because I feel like a lot of my peers were struggling with attention, which is kind of goes hand in hand with executive functioning, and they weren't diagnosed because it wasn't understood. There was no cognizance around executive functioning being this this broad stroke idea or this ability to really access your potential. And so, you know, it's easy to say, well, just use a planner 
but it's really not that easy to do, right? So it's not like it's just taking a planner and using a planner or setting a timer and making sure they stay on track with the task. It really takes working and refining those underlying sensory cognitive functions that are responsible for each and every one of these component subskills. And quite honestly, just like any other ability, behavior, habit, it takes work and it takes explicit training, routine, and consistency. So it's not as easy as just saying like, pay attention, (laughs) calm down. Right. All that doesn't happen. You have to train someone a little on what to look for when they're feeling dysregulated or how to how to be aware of when their attention drifts or they're not initiating a task. Right. It's really training them to look for those signs. So you ask kind of what the symptoms or signs are that that caregivers, educators, even learners can be on the lookout for. And the very first sign, my third child struggles with this quite a bit. The very first sign is they leave a trail behind them, right? I mean, everywhere they go from a very young age, they start leaving a trail. And when you redirect them to kind of counteract that, go back and clean up the table or go, go put away your clothes or, you know, and help them with that. They're totally unaware of what you're talking about. Like they don't even understand the trail right? They leave the trail. They don't understand the trail. And so I think that's the very first sign for, for little littles, but I mean, it can go unnoticed in quite a few learners and especially in, in female learners, they can be, they're compliant. Right. And I think that it's something that along the way you start to notice their attention drift, or you start to notice that they're not, you're saying to start a task homework in the classroom, what have you, and they're not starting. You start to see their inability to go back and edit their work. There's so many areas, working memory, even those are so much comorbidity between executive functioning and dyslexia, ADHD, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, that it's really hard to kind of separate the skills, but you start to see reading challenges and or math challenges based on the area of executive function that they're struggling with too. They can't retain sight words. They can't retain math facts because their working memory is not at a place that they need to be able to achieve. And I would say the last thing to look for, I know I'm going, no, <laughs> I'm fine. going off on this tangent. Go for um, it. The, yeah. the last thing I think that, you know, is an easy symptom to tell is when, when, now it's okay for certain ages, but as, as our learners age, as they mature, having those emotional reactions, those big feelings at, I would say first, second grade level, you start to see the bubbling over and the inability to regulate, to shift their zone, to, to be able to be ready to learn, be attentive, be engaged. And they, they have a really, really big reaction to any level of disappointment. So I think those are the key things to look for. Look for the trail, look for the big reactions, but also look as your child ages, if they're able to maintain conversation, if they're able to initiate tasks, those little things can add up as they get older and they can miss opportunities along the way. And I totally agree. And I am so fascinated with the whole idea of being able to have little tips and tricks to figure things out ahead of time so that you can save yourself some time and energy and stress. But one of the other things that I wanted to bring out up was we always think of executive function deficits and we don't think about when we're having an executive function skill like hyper focus, how there could also be some positive aspects to that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think for myself, I was a very um, bright child in school. I did 
did really well. I was a straight A student. I never had problems with um, attention, except for the fact that I had a problem with hyper focus. And I would literally get engaged with something and I would lose all track of time and I would obsess about it and I would have perfectionism tendencies and all those types of things that I think that go kind of under the radar. And because a kid is functioning at a really high level or they're getting a good grade, you're not really recognizing that that put a lot of stress and anxiety on me because that hyper performance, right? That hyper vigilance of, oh my God, if I don't get this perfect, if I don't get a 95, if I don't finish this whole thing, I couldn't disengage with the process so that I could actually give myself some, and that was also a self-regulation issue, right? So I think those are things that, that parents need to recognize as well. Just because your child is functioning at a really high level doesn't necessarily mean that they're not struggling and under a considerable amount of stress. Absolutely. And I like to call that the stress fog because there's also comorbidity, as you both can imagine, with anxiety, depression, and executive functioning. And so I was like, you, straight A student, perfectionistic tendencies, hyper focused, right? And then your stress fog kicks in and it's a block. So your prefrontal cortex isn't able to streamline and connect to those other skills in the brain, mostly housed in the back of the brain and because of the stress fog. So they can't fight through the stress fog. And so you have this anxiety buildup regulation, but then that blocks all the other component subskills within executive functioning from accessing the areas that they need to, to be able to achieve academically and socially. So I thank you for bringing that up. I completely agree. Well, and as the non-educator here, who's also gone through this, I Mm -hmm. think there's a couple things I want to highlight, right? So you gave examples of the trail or the task initiation. And I think if we put our parent hats on for a second, I might not notice that my kid is leaving a trail. What I notice is my kid's a slob and I pick up after them all the time, (laughs) right? Or I might not notice that the task initiation is the issue. I think it's compliance. And my kid's just too busy playing video games and not mm. listening to me. You're not yep. listening to me. Yep. Why doesn't anyone listen? I mean, I get in this argument all the time and I'm informed. But I, when I have just my parent hat on and I'm making dinner and the baby's yelling at me, I'm not going, oh, right, your son's task initiation and prefrontal cortex is <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm going... Just turn off the video games. Come eat dinner, right? Yeah, so yeah. I want to take a moment and step out of the language to remind parents that, like, if and here's how I would like to say it is: we wouldn't get upset and frustrated and angry with our toddlers who are stumbling, trying to learn walking. Right? Mm-hmm. Like my, my youngest right now is pulling herself up, and if she falls on her butt and toddles over. I'm not going to be angry or frustrated or upset with her. But as our kids grow and they're struggling with these executive functioning issues, which we don't understand the same way we understand learning to crawl and learning to walk Mm -hmm. and have visual understanding of, it looks like non-compliance. It looks like laziness. It looks like Mm -hmm. all of these things that we're dealing with. And we getting and teachers who aren't educated will call and say, your kid won't do their homework or your Mm -hmm. kid is you know, burst out having outbursts in the afternoon. So we look at it from behavior problems and compliance issues, but the reality is they're underlying executive functioning issues that are either underdeveloped Mm -hmm. or that they're having actual deficits or dysfunctions. And so- Thank you for saying that because I like to call it successive approximations. That's fancy talk for baby steps. 
and everything that our learners experience. I mean, we experience as adults, right? We're here to talk about like the the overall spectrum of learners. And I, I think that we constantly need to give grace and patience and try to take that step back and try to think about the why behind what's going on, because you're totally right. As a parent of four, I am just privileged to have the background information, but I still get caught up in the details, right? I still get caught up when my son isn't paying attention, when in reality can't pay attention. Like I try not to harp on him for those things, but then it's also like, why do I have to keep repeating myself? So one of my children struggles with following sequence and following directions. And I know why that's happening, but I oftentimes catch myself thinking, oh gosh, why can't he just follow my directions? When in reality, I might've given him just two steps, but there are so so many inner steps to all the directions we give. So as parents, if your child isn't able to follow directions, even one basic step, that also can be a sign. And it's not them misbehaving, like you said, it's just their inability to sequence and conceptualize what you're asking and follow, like there's so much to it, but I appreciate you saying that because it does give parents and caregivers the opportunity to take a step back and think of the purpose and the why behind what's going on in their child's life. Yeah. And I also want to add to, because I do some executive function coaching myself. And one of the things that we try to recommend to parents is to not only work with an executive function coach who specifically works on skills and tools and strategies for executive function, but we also pair that with therapy with some CBT Mm -hmm. training, right? Because to kind of elaborate on your point that this is not something that happens overnight, these habits and routines need to be established over lengthy periods of time. And a lot of times we'll do an intake for a parent and a parent will be like, you know, I just want them to get better grades and I just want them to be able to do this. And, and they're expecting that result in like six weeks, right? Why am I paying for this coaching when in six weeks he is and still hasn't even started using his Google calendar. Right. And you're like, okay, well, that's because those habits didn't develop overnight and they're not going to, they're not going to get better. So I think that's another important point that we need to stress is that these things need to be combined combined with sometimes some psychotherapy, definitely parent involvement where you're showing your child your own rituals and routines and Mm -hmm. modeling that behavior for them Mm -hmm. so that they can see that no matter what age level, no matter what diagnoses, whatever their situation is, everyone has to do executive functioning tasks and everyone has to work at it. So I think sharing that vulnerability with kids and that process with them also helps them to not feel that, you know, like, I'm broken. I need to be fixed. Something's wrong with me when it's really not the case. I appreciate you saying that too. It's the validation and the modeling. I mean, you were just speaking about Google Calendar. Like I sometimes forget to put things in my Google Calendar, but I'll make a point to say that to my kids, right? Like I'll say, oh, mama forgot again, right? Or if it's an opportunity, we have a visual chart for them getting ready in the morning. I was tired of repeating myself, right? They, they struggle with routine and direction falling. And so I might forget something on the way and I'll mention that, right? Oh, I forgot my water bottle today. I should have checked the list. Um, so I, I, I am glad that you said that because it's really key for them to see themselves in you and also know that that this is a really like understandable, typical challenge that we, everybody has their own strengths and areas to, to strengthen. Um, so absolutely role modeling and, and a little bit of therapy too. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with the combined efforts of specialists and working at the base of what a learner needs 
involving parents is key. I, I won't lie. Like, I think, I mean, we're not asking too much of our families that learn fully, of course, but we are coaching and consulting them to make sure that the parents, again, know the reason, but also feel empowered and equipped to redirect, train, coach their own children throughout the daily happenings to make it organic and natural. So it just becomes part of their, their everyday routines. So that brings, I have two, two questions. One segues into the other. I am 43. I'll call myself out right now. And I still have a trail that I am working on, but I, I do have these certain dis- dis- executive dysfunctions being an ADHD and I, we use that language in our house now, like, Oh, mom's mm. ADHD brain forgot. Can you help mommy remember? And like enrolling participation right. and accountability. <laughs> I think I have this underlying fear and question. Can I learn? Like, is this teachable to me or is my dopamine regulation just mean I'm mm. always going to have these issues? Like how does that go? And then that segues into like, you know, how do you help people at Learnfully and tell us a little bit more about how you help parents like me and students like I was and my son? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, metacognition is key to start with, especially as learners age. You mentioned high school, college, adulthood. And so I think taking a step back in perspective, taking learning how you learn is really empowering. And then thus, if you, and we do this at Learnfully, if you teach learners and help them experience and discover what works for them, then they have the ability to turn that around as they propel through the academic trajectory, but also to advocate for themselves. And so you said, will this ever change? Some of this is absolutely coachable. Absolutely. A majority, I would say, I would go on a limb and say the majority is trainable, but needs reinforcement. And as they age, their needs and their abilities shift and evolve as they do. So what what worked earlier on may not work five years from now, two years from now, right? I was one who used to color code everything, visually highlight my textbook. Now I need to listen to textbooks. I listen to podcasts. I listen to audiobooks. So my learning style, if you will, which I know there's a lot of there's not a lot of research out there about it, but the way I process information best has changed as I've gotten older. And I think learning how you learn best is important in that moment, but it's something that constantly needs to be experienced and discovered so that learners can find what works for them, learn strategies and techniques, tips and tricks, but also use their village to allow them to self-advocate and redirect and continue to reinforce some of those strategies. So granted, sure, inattention might always be a struggle, but you've learned strategies to kind of allow you to cope through that and tricks and tips that you know the trail is there. (laughs) It's a victory, right? Like, you know, you're trailing. It's okay. It's all good, but you know, it's there. And I think that heightened cognizance about how you learn helps you feel equipped and empowered to learn more about yourself, right? And, And strategize as needed. And so at Learnfully, we're a personalized platform of highly curated educational specialists 
And what we do is we have neurodivergent learners on our platform who are in need of a multiplicity of programs, skill development, and so forth. And then we match them to an educational specialist who has a certification, the credentialing, and the personality to meet their needs, to engage them online, to help them realize, and then thus reach their personal potential. And so we will have learners I mean, all over the spectrum, right? Different diagnoses, different needs. Majority of them are in need of executive functioning, coaching, social, emotional learning. And then in combination, they'll also work on areas that impact their reading abilities, their mathematical skills, and their expressive language or their writing. So it really, we like to look at it from the foundation up though. Like you truly can't stand upon a weak foundation. So if you don't have some of these executive functioning skills in place, If your social emotional well-being is not intact or as intact as it can be, considering the current times, then it's really hard to layer upon that some of these isolated cognitive sensitive skills that relate to reading, math, and writing. Yeah, and that brings me to the the thing that I think makes your program a little bit interesting is the fact that you blend AI Mm -hmm. your approach, right? For Mm -hmm. that whole child, deeper understanding of needs. How does the artificial intelligence work in your program? Like how do you use it to integrate and figure out a deeper understanding of what your clients need? Yeah. So we're building, we're building the tech side out of our organization right now. It's automated. It's not as automated as we'd like, but it's getting there. Um, So it's a little more manual, right? (laughs) We're in the beginning stages. So essentially we'll start with the screening tool to really pinpoint where the breakdown is occurring. We like to look at the big picture, the whole child. And so we have a screening for social, emotional learning, for executive functioning, for cognition and all the layers within reading, literacy, and math. And so we like to start with that throughout the first month of instruction. We kind of bake that in to really pinpoint that breakdown and serve as an accurate appraisal of their skill set so we can make recommendations. So based on the screening, but also based on their interests and their strengths, it creates this beautiful algorithm right? You can take all of those different layers that really allow educational specialists to make a connection, establish rapport, and maximize their time with a learner, and then be able to proactively communicate the progress that we're observing and track both the long and short-term goals. So the tech side allows us to not only populate scores and pair that to recommendations based on the programming that's appropriate, but also allows us to make appropriate matches because as we know, the connectivity yields to the highest level of results and allows learners to feel that level of success and lean into discomfort, finding their own voice and their confidence. And so I think this algorithm is what sets us apart is it's kind of like a premier matchmaking service, but we continue to track progress and communicate and coach caregivers thereafter to ensure that they feel equipped and they know what we're observing in session, as well as how they can continue the growth at home. I love how you mentioned that relationship piece about um, that being the foundational piece of the coaching, because coaching is so much different than tutoring, right? And I think parents sometimes get confused between the two. Mm -hmm. Coaching is developing a relationship so that you can push people beyond their limits and get them to grow, right? And then tutoring is focusing on one single solitary concept or Mm -hmm. piece of information or content area or something like that and helping somebody get a task or an assignment done. So there's a big difference. You don't need to have a relationship with your tutor. Mm -hmm. You do need to have a relationship with your coach. It's a very important piece. 
I, I thank you for saying that. Yeah. So tutoring is really working on school oriented content and curriculum type tasks and educational specialists, educational therapists, executive functioning coaches really work on teaching them how to learn so that they can succeed and they can work through content and curriculum, however they learn best, but we're working on the how, not the what when it comes to coaching. And you're right, the connection is key to that because if you don't have rapport, if you don't have connection, there's not credibility, validation, trust, right? The exchange of energy that needs to happen, especially if they're online and virtual. It's just as important to note the difference because we are not educational tutors per se. Eventually we'll work on the generalization and the application of skills because we, we have established that strong framework for them to stand on and have taught them how they learn best so they can advocate for themselves accordingly. Well, and I think that's huge, right? Because like, if I go back to my son's IEP in the first few years, he was one of those 2E kids where academically he was above average, but his classroom focus and those underlying skills we're talking about were not as strong. So his learning goals for like the first couple of years, we just took academics off the table and we only made learning to learn his goals. That being said, I'm privileged to be in an area of the country outside of D.C. and Montgomery County where they have excellent services mm, available. Yes. Um, and one of the things that was really interesting is over this past year, I we had to do asynchronous learning because online learning was not okay for us and our yeah. family. Um, and one of the things that was interesting was, and my uh, Donna here, my partner, was a great educational specialist to help me through the whole program but one of the things I realized was they were telling me he had certain cognitive deficits around reading and comprehension. Mm-hmm. And going back to what you were saying about preferred interests, mm-hmm. we had one assignment that was like a five-step assignment chunked down and he needed to do like a, an investigative report on um, fur animal fur. And I was like, this is never going to happen. <laughs> so I emailed the teacher and I said, we are not going to do it on fur. We are going to do it on whatever he says he wants to do it on right. because that's the only way I'm going to get this assignment done. And sure enough, he picked tornadoes mm. because it was on weather at that point. Mm-hmm. And they had this five day assignment done in an hour because it was a preferred topic. So it wasn't actually that he couldn't access through a cognitive deficit. It was because he couldn't access because he just wasn't interested in fur. Mm -hmm. And so we couldn't get him to focus on it. And so what I hear you saying is taking that specialist and those preferred interests and then learning how to learn and pairing those things. I think for some of us neurodivergent people, you have to put it in that kind of triangle in order for us to actually be able to learn our own best ways. There you go. And to learn your inner strength and what your potential is, right? So without that ability to use highly preferred tasks and interests, you never truly dive deep enough to tap into your own potential and see what you can do with yourself, see what you can overcome. And then let's be honest, every single day, there's things throughout the day that are non-preferred tasks that I have to do well. But because I know what makes me tick, what makes, what drives my tank, what fuels me, um, that allows me to succeed in those other areas. But starting with preferred tasks, really teaching them their strengths, using that growth mindset mentality allows them eventually when they're ready to lean in with to discomfort. And really when it comes to non-preferred tasks, I mean, we're adults, we're doing what we love. We're finding joy in what we do. And that's because we've learned that highly preferred interests allows us 
to keep going and motivates us to succeed. So anyway, I commend you. I think that's absolutely true. I appreciate it from a caregiver's perspective, you taking a stance and allowing him to see what he can achieve. Well, thanks. Thanks for that validation. Mm -hmm. So let's ask the question, what are are the things you want our listeners to take away? Such a huge question. I think that I, again, could talk hours about that. But if I were to pick kind of one key thing that I want your your listeners to take away is to take a deep breath, to know that learners will find their path, that we're all in this together. It's really just taking a step back, taking perspective and maintaining the the mindset and the open the open eyes, open ears, open heart that your learner will realize and reach their potential when they receive personalized attention and support that it will be okay. Because I think sometimes as a caregiver, I get you know caught up in the nitty gritty and all the stress that comes with having children. And when I take a step back and realize that they're going to be just fine and they're going to find their brilliance. It's just, you know, we're here as a vessel to help support them find that, but everything will be okay as long as we are nurturing and supporting their growth and helping them find who they truly are meant to be. Oh, we need to make that the audiogram right there that we're going to share. That was beautiful. So. Oh, good, because I could say a lot more. Oh, no, <laughs> I could go off on that. I'm like, oh, yes, that's exactly what we need to do. Um, well, thank you so much, Jess. We will point everyone towards the website, Learnly. Thank you. Amazing program. And we love how you're integrating innovation with education. Um, it's absolutely amazing. So thank you so much. Um, Donna, any last thoughts? I just think you're brilliant and wonderful. And I'm so appreciative that you came to speak with us today and that everything that you're doing is so amazing. So thank you very much. Thank you too. I am forever grateful for this opportunity. And I feel privileged that I have the chance to serve in this way, that this is my life's work. It just feels right. And I'm glad that, that I could be here for your listeners. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. To register for an upcoming leadership workshop or to learn more about our one-to-one coaching and development programs, you can visit us at www.neurodivergentleader.com or follow us on Instagram at neurodivergentleader and check for the links in the bio. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.